0: You're listening to, achten, milwauw. To Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey.
1: G'day, hello, greetings to you, one and all. Now, there's no need to adjust your podcast settings as this is still Acton Millwall, but instead of your usual host, Nick, he has very kindly given me temporary ownership of the show. I'm Jimmy Webb and I'm down under in Australia. And I hope you enjoy the latest instalment of the podcast and hear from the latest inductee to the Listed Lion Hall of Fame. So, without any further ado, I'd like to welcome, well, Listed Lion, who are you?
0: This is very weird, Jim. (laughs) It's Nick Hart. aka the Archbishop of Canterbury on certain forums, uh, (laughs) proprietor of the house, (laughs) very odd. The tables have been turned here, this this is a really weird experience, (laughs) generally generally when you ask the questions it gives you a sense of control and I've, I've lost that sense of control here so it's very very unsettling but welcome to the show everyone, thank you very much Jim for that intro. To your yeah, show.
1: Yeah, Nick, <laughs> Nick, uh, Nick's been given the honour of being the latest listed Lions, So, where I'm feeling very much like Eamon Andrews, and here's one for the teenagers. Ooh, wow, um, instead of trying to think of questions, Nick is probably just sitting back right now, drinking a nice red wine and uh, happily relaxing. <laughs>
0: I've actually just got back from my hours exercise in the exercise block of of HMP Becton. <laughs> so I've got the glow of self-righteousness, listeners, at the moment. Of man, that's just got back from my run. So. so Nick, I just thought,
1: first of all, we'll go we'll go serious. But uh, right. how are you and, and, and the family
0: at the moment? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, you know, we were just speaking off air, Jim, weren't we, about the the lockdown restrictions here, and obviously yourself in Australia much the same, similar kinds of ideas. I mean, where, where we live, we're not far from the Excel Centre, which is a um, huge, um, huge major conference centre, huge space, and that's being converted into a hospital at the moment. I think the Army are, are you know, turning it around very, very quickly. So it's quite... Um, it, it's quite galling because we having just i'd call it a run loosely it's more of a jog and a walk but anyway we won't dwell on that but when i go out for my walk stroke jog part traditionally my route went along by the side of the excel center and it's quite a it's, a it's a distance you can measure yourself by you know if you go one length and back again you've done about a mile you know so it's a huge space and um to think that's going to be a hospital with you know people suffering with this this uh disease that's doing the rounds it's quite quite chastening really so see the size of I and mean, what they're preparing for so um but no we're, we're good so far so we, we had a, a heavy cold the other week but i think it was just a heavy cold and not not the, the 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 covid you know um but so far so good so fingers crossed how about yourselves and your family out there in Oz? Are, are you yeah, okay so far yeah
1: we're all good and uh me and my wife are both classed as essential workers so we're both still at work unfortunately you know whereas oh. obviously people were you know i've got time off uh but no we're still we're, we're all we're all uh there's only three of us here and, and we're all good so uh,
0: good yeah. good to hear mate good to hear
1: yeah so, so we're just uh we're just adhering to all the guidelines that the government keeps setting and you know self-isolation is, is that's obviously going to be the key key phrase for 2020 isn't it i
0: think it's all you can do it's all you got i mean you can only i uh, had this conversation last night my, my mother and father-in-law both in their their 80s um so they'll be prime you know um candidates if they do get the bug um and i I said to my wife i said i'd really you can only do what you can do at some point this 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 thing is out of anyone's hands in a sense you can't control everything but you can what you can control you should control Um, we're taking great care taking shopping to them making sure it's dropped off at the front door and you know we're not in the the two meter exclusion zone that you have to have now um But that's all you can do and I think I think it's incumbent on everyone to do what they can do and at a certain point fate takes over but you know I think I would hate the idea that I didn't conform to the guidelines and the rules and someone got it as a result of my um sloppiness you know I think it's just on on everyone to do what they can
1: so Nick Hart this is your life
0: um oh my god I didn't realize it was going to be that Oh blimey! <laughs> we'll have, might have to, I might have to edit the show. <laughs> some some bits I don't want to dwell on.
1: No, no. I've just been, uh, you know, just during the day and doing doing my vast research. I was, I was just trying to work out, and I think we've probably known each other for 18, 20 years. I yeah, one
0: way the other. I, I remember I met you, Jim, um, back in the turmoil of um, the mid kind of um, the mid two thousands. I think when there was like a, the, the Peter the Savery ructions were on. I, th- I think I met you in a pub, and I can't think of the names. over near um, Deptford side. I've got that written
1: down for a bit later, which we'll come on to. But okay. what, what is Okay. You know, it's funny how you eventually meet these people, but you only know them by the name that. They're online, and, and as you said, you used to call yourself the Archbishop of Canterbury.
0: I did, <laughs> um, which is an odd an odd choice of moniker, really. I'm not religious bloke at all, far from it. Um, but there how, was did you, a...
1: how did you get that name? Why, why so, did you come? I mean, I always why did. I question.
0: Why did. I um, how and why? Um, good, good question. Um, you'll probably remember um, the website, the House of Fun, um, in its old incarnation. Um, you know back in it, it's revamped itself a couple of times it's probably more like a modern message board now in in the way that your your name is your name and that's it but um at one point i can't remember what i used to go on there as um anyway i had a name of some sort you know logon name and the the beauty of the old-fashioned house of fun Mule forum was that you could overwrite your name so you could pretend yes. to be stars. and there it was it was either the semi-final, it might be the cup final. I can't think which it was now, but um, we've got this. I mean, these, 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 you have to be there for some of these jokes. I mean, it's like a lot of Millwall gym, and you know, you have to kind of be there in the moment to really get the humour of whatever it was. But um, well, there was there, there was a thing going on where um, people were rewriting their own name as kind of major figures of politics, music, world history, and showbiz and whatnot. You know, and it, like the out, likes of Elton John, be wishing all the boys a good a good day out, and all things of that kind. You know, double entendres. Uh, and I, I, I think I, I, I wished everyone as the Archbishop of Canterbury. And for some reason, I, I, I gave that the club the the blessing of God or something like that from the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I don't think I ever bothered rewriting my name. I just kind of stuck, and it it kind of took hold from there. Um, and I, I used to have a very irritating writing style at one point, of which I did just to amuse myself and, and to irritate other people, really. Well, I kind of wrote it in a, a kind of a medieval kind of um, our father who art in heaven type style of writing, you know, uh, as the archbishop. And it, it just kind of never went away one way or the other. So yeah, the archbishop is who I became and, and have remained ever since. Mm-hmm. I think it was the name of a pub, was the Canterbury Arms as well down on the on the Alderton Road, the oh, old Kent? Yeah. Mm. So I think I think that helped a little bit. But yeah, there's so yeah, a long time. It's it's strange how you acquire and people now call me Bish and things like that. And it's um it's 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 odd, you know, because you find yourself responding to a nickname that you know, you kinda of made up yourself. and nicknames should generally be given to you rather than nominated by yourself, I think. But that's that's how it came to pass.
1: I think I think uh, that I think that the just going back to that bit about where you could change your name I think it was always that the Queen Mother seemed to have died every other week <laughs> <laughs> there
0: was, And there was a, there was a joke uh, I mean again I mean when you repeat these jokes back this is very funny but there was a there, someone posted a joke um, about Craig David and the the British Olympic team I don't know if you remember that one Jim um, that Craig David had been nominated to go to the Olympics uh, and then the, the, the obvious response was what as." Uh, he's going with the archery team as the bow selector <laughs> this, this joke got repeated <laughs> so, so many times and it's become a, a thing on that website that if you repeat yourself you get bow you, get, you become bowed there's bow selector it, it derives from craig david's hit song uh, the bow selector i don't know what the what the title of the song really was but that was the chorus the bow selector um yeah like i say you probably had to be there to really get the humor of the joke <laughs> but the they had a queen mother died on a regular basis on their there
1: <laughs> so um just going back so you you i mean these questions are not going to be any surprise to you so i've had to try no. and uh mix them up. i don't want to put you on easy street too much but uh <laughs> the first thing i'll say is your first Millwall game but yeah. before that there was a thing going around on social media yesterday like a football question there and You put then that Wembley was actually the first ground you visited.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was always interested in football, um, like all boys, you know. So, I mean, I I was born in 1960. That's ancient, isn't it? Um, So I was, you know, kind of six, seven years old, round about the time of England winning the World Cup. So I I was kind of conscious that we had won the World Cup, but I didn't know anything about it and I didn't follow the tournament. I don't remember it, so I can't claim... Anything other than being aware that England had won the World Cup, but it didn't mean much to me at the age of I've been about five, going towards six when that when that happened. Um, First football match I can remember happening, if if you like, was the 1967 Cup Final, which I think was between Spurs and Chelsea. And I used to get the um, a comic um, like a boys' comic. I think it might have been Roy of the Rovers actually. And on the front page was like a cartoon depiction of Jimmy Greaves with the FA Cup um, as a cartoon type of, you know, Spurs have won the, won the Cup. But I don't remember that game, but I rem- that's probably the first football match um, in itself that I remember. Um, first game I can remember watching with any, any interest was a cup final. That was 69. And that was, um, I think, City- Manchester City beat Leicester. And there was a television, obviously. Um, But the first time I went to a football match was a school trip where I used to go to Castlecombe School in Mottingham. We lived on the Mottingham Estate, having moved out from Bermondsey when I was was four or five years old, something like that. So um, the school organized a a coach trip, which was immensely exciting. I mean, you can imagine um, I must have been about 10 years old, maybe 11 years old, possibly. I think it was 1971. uh, England schoolboys were playing West Germany schoolboys at Wembley. And Carl Sucum School organised a coach trip to take uh, anyone that wanted to go. Um, You know, parents would pay for it because it wasn't uh, wasn't everyone that could go. I think that's one of the things I remember is, you know, you look back at your life sometimes Mm -hmm. and you kind of um, become aware that um, there were some kids on the estate that had money and others didn't have much money at all. Um, Some kids went on holiday to Spain when we didn't and others didn't go on holiday at all you know you become quite aware of these things at the time you just accept them but afterwards you think blimey that was quite a quite a social span of um, of income on that estate actually but for those that could afford it and I'm going to the badger mum and dad to to pay for the uh you know for the trip they they coached us up to Wembley to the old Wembley Stadium for England schoolboys versus West Germany um can't remember a huge amount about it now beyond the kind of flash images of the coach trip leaving castlecombe school and then this what seemed like an immensely long drive to Wembley. it's quite a long distance actually i mean you would kind of think twice about it driving yourself let alone getting on a, a coach load of other kids um yeah i mean you wanted to be there in five minutes of leaving the school really um i remember wembley stadium the area around wembley stadium the old wembley and you know you're 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 Know this yourself, but the area was quite scruffy, and I, 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 I remember feeling a bit shortchanged. Because every time I'd ever seen Wembley on the television, it looked like um, this kind of amphitheatre from ancient yeah. Rome, with a, with a kind of the, the the kind of surround roof, you know, and the three floodlights and illuminating the the, the pitch, and it it was um, it was like a, a coliseum, you know. You, you think this must be a, the grandest, um, most wonderful stadium in the world. Um, and when we got there, I remember being struck by the fact it' was just like a huge scruffy looking car park. It's like a huge area of tarmac outside it with um if I remember right a bit like um market traders' stalls parked up around the edge of it. They must, must have had like a Sunday market or something going on there. Um, and I thought, blimey, this does not look all that. you know when i got, when I got there, even as a child, I thought it doesn't look like the um the kind of triumphal way to to the um the Coliseum that I expected it. Once we got inside the grounds, um, I remember briefly the the kind of immaculate green of the pitch. This was the, one of the moments that I think always strikes everyone when they go to a football stadium, is the the green of the pitch. As a kid, especially, it was vivid, you know. Um, and then I remember the the, the national anthems being played, um, England in white and Germany in, in green, and that was a bay. I can't. I, I think we. I think we drew i think i couldn't tell you what the result was after all these years um but that was the first time i ever went to a football match a football yeah. match yeah so that was the old Wembley um, so
1: I've, I've, I've been quite sad that while you've been talking about that i've just actually gone to a website with all the Wembley fixtures from 1970 have you and to put you out of your misery yep. england did play west germany in 1970 in a schoolboy international
0: 1970 well, that would be the one then wow. and england won 3-0 did we uh, the, the result of 1970 is about right. I was, yeah, I was about 10. What, what month of the year would that be, Jim? Does it I was, say? It
1: doesn't say, no. It just says England, England, 1970, England 3, West Germany nil in a schoolboy.
0: Schoolboy International, yeah. Mm. Wow. Okay, well, there we are. That, that, yeah, that, well, that, that would have been the same.
1: I was just curious because my school used to also do those uh, trips to the schoolboys, and I was, I said, oh, flick through. And I've got a feeling mine might have been in 19. 77 again, England versus West Germany, West Germany one okay. one on that occasion, so I've got to yeah, feeling well, that was one of my first trips to Wembley. It's,
0: it's, 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 it was nice, I mean it was it was an introduction to football, obviously it had the school, so you, you had a teacher in charge of you, and it was basically, I remember the, the, the roar of the crowd, I mean I was used to roar on television, it was a male masculine, throaty roar of the crowd, the Cop, the Stratford End and and, and all the rest of it, you know, the, the Cup Finals. And, <clears throat> whereas Schoolboy International, it was mostly kids. So this, it was a kind of much higher-pitched um, sound, you know, which, again, I didn't expect when I got there. I expected it to be the kind of um, the sound of, of the football that I got from match of the day and so on. But it, it's a standout moment. I remember it was my first ever t- uh, time in a football stadium, I mean, it left a big impact on me. I, I really enjoyed it. I liked the... I like the feel of going to the football. There's, there was something, um, something deep about it. It was the first time I've been into a stadium, and it, it, as I say, even now, all these years, 1970, so that's that's um, 50 years ago. It still leaves. A um yeah a memorable mark in my mind. So <clears throat> it was nice. I, I'm, I'm I, I don't know. If schools still do things like that. I, I, I hope they do, but maybe football's changed a lot, and maybe I maybe they don't well, do it the it same way. School boys, school
1: boys don't play at Wembley anymore. I wouldn't have thought these days. Don't because
0: they used to be live on the telly. Yeah, <clears throat> they used to have Vic, they called them victory internationals. And they had to, had to, they had, I remember that the home international series with schoolboys, England schoolboys playing Scotland and 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 uh, Northern Ireland and Wales, but. I must admit I haven't I haven't consciously looked for it for a long time so um I don't know I would have to have to check separately but it was it, that was my first ever football match at all um, um left its mark just, you know
1: just thinking about Wembley then uh, I'm assuming that you went to Wembley for the Auto Windscreen's final mm was that the was that the next time you went to Wembley after that visit?
0: That's or? a good question. Was that the auto windscreen was um, nineteen? Nice. No, so no, it wouldn't have been. I, I went to a couple of international matches, England games. Once I started going to football, um, once I was working, um, I started working in nineteen seventy seven. Um, So I'm just trying to think. I went to an England game and I think I definitely remember going to see England play Argentina at the old Wembley, which I think was in 1980 because I I had this conversation with Neil a few weeks ago. I thought it was earlier than that because Maradona was playing for the Argentines. Um, So I can say I saw Maradona play, although the the view was terrible at Wembley, Jim. I mean, you probably remember it yourself. I mean, I was on the terracing. And I was fairly low down because it was a bit of a last minute um, thing. After work, we went up to go and watch England play uh, Argentina. Um, And I think we just got into the front of the terracing and the view was awful. I could see why it was redeveloped. Although inside the stadium, it had grandeur and it had history and it had presence. Um, The outside would always be very scruffy to me and uh, it never never seemed to be up to much outside. But inside the stadium, it had had a certain something. I think I, uh, there might be another England game I I think I might have gone to a um a European championship qualifier and I think it might have been might have been Cyprus we played um in the mid 70s we won 5-0 I think if memory serves Macdonald Malcolm McDonald, scores some goals Yeah he? so but that was did I go to? I, I, I think I went to that one, but I wouldn't. Have, I wasn't working then, so somehow I managed to wangle my way up there for that. <clears throat> but yeah, um, but the, the main, the first time is in anger, so to speak, was with the Auto Windscreen Cup final, which was also one of the, the last. Not many more games played at the old stadium after that. I mean, I think it was knocked down in two thousand, and we were there in nineteen ninety nine. That was a that was a wonderful day. That was. It, I must admit, I felt quite emotional that day, Jim. Did you? Um, I felt quite. Like we, 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 think, yeah, it I meant something
1: I more emotional once the semi-final was done mm. and it was like that crikey we're going to Wembley type
0: you yeah, know. it meant something uh, I remember being no. at, uh, I was living in South East London back then um, yeah, yeah South East, yeah, so um, I came into Charing Cross and I remember there being a huge, no Victoria, tell a lie Victoria, a huge um, monk chant that went up round the stadium because people were kind of travelling to the um, the game via the uh, by the underground, um, and it echoing around the stadium. And I thought, blimey, this is something, you know, because um, we had about fifty thousand fans there that day. It was the, I think until Portsmouth a couple of years ago, that was the biggest turnout by any any club in one go, oh. fifty five thousand odd, something like that. That's a lot,
1: yeah. I mean, I mean I, what are we there? We, well, I always, it's one of those stories where I think we had forty eight thousand, but that seems to creep up by an extra thousand as every year. <laughs>
0: I, I think a lot of people, I mean, you know, obviously we don't get, we don't get that many at home games, but a lot of people just wanted in on this event. This, this I, I was
1: there type of moment. moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the capacity of stadium meant many people could turn up that w- wouldn't normally go, but they wanted to be there because they once went a lot in the 1970s or 60s. They just wanted to be there for this, this moment. Yeah. Um, and I mean, all I can remember, obviously, is the last minute goal that lost it for us, and booing the uh, the Wigan team when they got presented with the trophy. <laughs> they didn't do a lap of honour. <laughs> I remember and it was,
1: that.
0: A <laughs> <laughs> great day, great day. But yeah, I suppose that would have been my next um, proper trip in that in that sense. A of England games I remember going to, but uh, that was that. So
1: move, on, move on from Wembley, and your first. What about your first trip down to Coalbellow Lane?
0: First trip to Cold Blow Lane, I can tell you the game exactly, because I've looked it up many, many times since. It was uh, March, I think it was the 24th, 5th, 6th, something like that. It was Millwall 1, Portsmouth 0 in March 1972. Uh, Barry Bridges scored the goal and... Some mates of mine at Castle Coon, were still in primary school. I mean, this, this is a different era, Jim, when you repeat back these stories, you sound like you come from Charles Dickens's era or something, you know, the idea that a bunch of kids at primary school um, could think, oh, let's go, do you fancy going football? Yeah, who do you support? Well, you know, uh, I support Millwall, so shall we go watch Millwall? All right, then let's go there. And we all, we all went. Um, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have called myself a Millwall fan at that time. Um, I was aged 70, so I'd been about 11 um on the on the on the road to getting towards uh 12 and I used to follow football um the glamour club of the time was Manchester United so um my favourite player was George Best so if I I suppose if I said if if I was a fan of any club I suppose I'd like the idea that they were kind of faded their glamour was fading at that point because they they'd won the European Cup and starting to f- fail on a grand scale after that but best was still there he was still exerted a kind of a a rock star kind of um pull on everyone's imagination and that was probably my favorite player when i when i first started going to millwall um but mates in the in the class um uh, were millwall fans uh mill going well this was a season where we had a near miss promotion challenge 1971 72 and it was building towards the crescendo of the season. So um, March 1972, um, some mates in class said, Did I fancy go and watch Millwall? I said, yeah, I fancy that, you know, and went with them. Um, got the train up from Elmstead Wood Station all the way up to New Cross. We walked from New Cross, the journey, the famous journey, through this what was then still back streets. Um mm-hmm. Park that became Falden Park hadn't been built then. There were still streets old Victorian slum houses that were due for, well, I'm sure they'd be worth a fortune now if they still existed, but um, they were going to be knocked down. So we walked through these back doubles along to Coal Lane under the railway arches. Um, I think I was probably quite bewitched by the whole, because it was, it was kind of um, that weird mill combination of being um, frightening, exhilarating, grotesque and wonderful, all in one really bizarre kind of wrapped up, cake you know it's one one thing do you know what i
1: mean yeah yeah because i was thinking about that tunnel at colbro lane you know you walked underneath the railway bridges yeah the ground but coming out of the game and then walking through that tunnel was was (laughs) something else you know that's an atmosphere that will never ever be recreated ever again i don't think
0: no, i mean you wouldn't you couldn't build a stadium with you'd have to think about access and you know you've got to have free movement and all the rest of it but the the railway arches i mean for anyone that never went there you it's quite hard to describe it but you've walked under a series of railway arches where the sun never shone in some parts it was there was always a, a street light on in in under the arches because it just got dark and dingy um, and I've seen it described like um, like Jack the Ripper's London down there, Jim, you know, because you always had dripping water and it was always dingy and um, brickwork, you know, like 100 year old brickwork and um, scrap metal yards. And I, I don't know why these little things make a mark in your mind, but I remember going past. It might be welling Scrapyard. there it may have been other scrapyards that also competed with wellings along there but they always had um and this is still there if you look closely uh glass set in the top of the brick wall so they're like jagged glass so if you climbed over it you cut yourself oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like these little fractional images that stick in your mind forever and then <clears throat> the old railway line set in the in the cobbles of um the junction of uh, i think it's called juno way and mercury way i think it's called and, and cold blow lane um so yeah um that my first trip there was march 72 we won the game one nil um
1: and, and did you stand behind the goal as a
0: cold blow lane a, cold blow
1: lane
0: first sense. time i went stood behind the cold blow um there was a great horrible, I mean, I've mentioned him many times because he's still I can still see his horrible face in my, my mind now. A bloke used to wear a really kind of greasy mac, you know, like a beige mac that had gone grey with dirt and grease and hair, their kind of um, oil on his collar. And his great kind of solidly built back. I used to call him the neck because he didn't seem to have a neck. He had his like his head was straight onto his shoulders. And he would just shout abuse at players, at Millwall players, um, as well as uh, position players. But he seemed to enjoy digging at Eamon Dunphy who was playing in this game. He always didn't have a good word for Dunphy, and he seemed to enjoy it when players reacted to him. And I remember being struck by this grotesque figure. It's like something out of a Charles Dickens um, play, almost, like Fagin or someone, you know, Bill Sykes, perhaps. Um, But no, um, and he would shout... Oh, that was the other thing he did. He he used to shout... um, Wrong scores. He had a big radio, like a big wooden radio, that he would hold to his ear. I don't know how many batteries this thing must have taken, <clears throat> and he would shout out incorrect football scores from other games for just for the, <laughs> just for the twisted pleasure in telling people wrong information. I think so. He would shout out like, um, I don't know, United are getting beat 3 0 when they were winning. You know, stuff like that. Um, just because this was an era where football scores were not widely or easily available. So that was one of my early impressions. Um, I remember the roar when because um, Bridges scored right in front of us. We stood behind the net of the goal at the cold Lane and Bridges put the ball in the net. And there was this almighty roar because I didn't really appreciate it at the time. But we were on a, a promotion run, and this was a vital win over a team, Portsmouth. I now know will be you know they would have brought um, fans to the ground, but uh, they weren't they weren't visible um there's twenty-two thousand in the stadium that day which i now know is one of the biggest cra- uh, crowds at cold day i'd ever stand in my first time i thought that was like a normal crowd um you know years later when you're standing with like three or four thousand in there you <laughs> appreciate what you what you had um so that was my first time after a while um i used to be fascinated by the um the transfer to the seats section. You could walk round the side of the Cold Blow Lane end. I don't know if you remember this, Jim, but you had like a little turnstile within the ground, and you could walk round to the side of the Cold Blow Lane end by the, past the floodlight. On the as you stood on the Cold Blow to the left, and right up in the corner was a bloke in the turnstile up there. And you could pay an extra ten p. I think it was the same price as if you paid to get into the seats downstairs. I don't know why. I wish you to go through the Cold Blow and then pay to transfer to the four court seats, the orange seats at the front. So I went in there for a while <clears throat> um I quite like the idea of sitting down uh, I think I'm, I've always had a taste for the luxurious I think so I enjoyed sitting in the seats and then after a while I migrated round to the halfway line I used to stand on the halfway um from about the mid 70s onwards I used to go to the halfway line that was that was really where I, the halfway line was where I would be my spot if you like that's where I would call my spot in the ground so to speak
1: and, and was it always the same spot on that halfway line? Because we used to stand on the halfway line, and, but we were our spot was you'd walk towards Yeldaton Road to where the uh, the shelter, the roof stopped, and it yep. followed line with the edge of the roof down, and where where it was in the corner, there used to be one of the barriers there, and that was our barrier, and that's where like the 10, 12 of us, we yep. every that was our
0: our barrier and our space, uh, you know, space to watch the game, so. Yeah, I used to, I used to have a spot, Um, that spot changed, I don't know why it changed, but anyway, initially at least, I used to come in on the, come in uh, at the back of the halfway, down that central kind of um, uh, walkway that they would marked out after a while, they had like um, barriers marked, there was like a central walk down the middle, so I used to go about halfway down that and then just turn left and go behind one of the, uh, the leaning barriers there. So I was about halfway down the, the the terracing. So probably just on the, on the line of the roof section. And I just used to go there. That was, I just like the view that I get there. The main thing with the ter- the terracing is, especially when you're younger, is that you'd always, you sort yourself out a really nice vantage point. And then some tall bloke comes stand right in front of you at the last moment. Just, just when you're set and the, the kickoffs about to happen, you get someone's head right in front of your face. So I think that was the reason why I started going further downwards. Um, and eventually I evolved into going right down to the front and then left and back around the first barrier. And that used to be just above the line of the fence, used to have the the jagged fence down there. So you could just get above the eye line of that and that was a decent view down there. And that that became my spot uh, pretty much full time. That was probably from about, uh, well, once the fencing went up, so that'd be late 70s. Um, I used to do do that. what a venue, what a place. And you used to get to know these, I don't know their names, but these faces that you just see fortnightly, these kind of wonderful characters uh-huh. and people that even now I can see them in my mind's eye, you know, and you see them every two weeks at a football. Where, where do they go? What happens to them once they leave football? What becomes of them? You know, it's um, some, some uh, characters like no other at, at Millwall. I'm sure every football club has their characters, but our ones just seem to have that touch of the... Um, a, a cross between being lunatics, grotesques, and humour and wit, and it's just um, you know a place like no other. There, there can be a, never be another Cold Blow Lane. I mean, I, I, I like the new ground, but the Coalbloom Lane for me is is um, exists in its own own space in my head. I think probably the same did as you, everyone else.
1: Did you ever get on the pitch at the old ground?
0: At the the last game, I went on the pitch. Um, yeah. The very last game, which was Bristol Rovers, wasn't it? Three nil loss we always managed to make anti-climaxes out of these crescendo games i'm <laughs> talking about um blackburn the other day weren't we when we did yeah. the uh, 87 88 show and the very last game to be played at the stadium in 1993 92-93 st- season we managed to ball that up didn't we jim and we lost three nil to bristol rovers and i, I you think I've all we a do you remember we, we had a penalty and yeah we yeah, missed the penalty
1: you know,
0: um, sorry we gave us a penalty
1: and i think it was malcolm allen
0: that's right <laughs> I, remember, so. I don't know, it must have been the nerves, I don't know. I, I sometimes think that the, I mean, the the, the den in its old incarnation and, and obviously the new incarnation is such an intimidating ground that often that can intimidate our own players as much as the opposition. And I sometimes think that, you know, there's like a, a reverse um, factor to it. You know, sometimes it damages us as much as it damages the opposition. But certainly that day it was an anti-climax on the field. Um but at the end, there was this kind of anarchic desire to get on the pitch and claim a bit of bit of turf. So uh, that, was more... my, that
1: was my next question. Did you did
0: you dig a bit of turf up and take it home with you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I went on the pitch and claimed. <laughs> uh, I think it's called a sod. I had a sod <laughs> in my hand, um, and I, I I took it home. And I'm not a gardener by any stretch of the imagination. And where I was living at the time was a uh, flat. So um, we did, didn't have a garden there. So I got it indoors and I thought, oh, what am I going to do with it? Now? What happens now <laughs> with this piece of grass? Because <laughs> I mean, you can't grow it, You're not like a pot plant, is it? You can't have it growing in your front room, you know. Um, in in the end, I think I, I took it into work one day with the intention of planting it. In, and the grass had grown, it. it was a bit overgrown, looking a bit unkempt, to be honest um I, I you know I, I don't know what i'm going to do with it in the end i just left it on on some ground in pimlico whereas I, I was working in pimlico at the time there's a bit of grass there so I, I kind of trod it into the grass and left it there I, I, I didn't really know what to do with it in the truth um so I, uh, did you I, get I, any
1: yeah 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 i remember i took like i it's one of the few games where i actually took a camera with me so i took a lot of right. photographs of the bait oh, and right. uh,
0: I'd love and, to see those So we have to get those have to take those out if you still got them. Yeah, I'll scan those in one day. Uh, yes. Love to see those. And, um, and I
1: remember
0: a, I was, was with a guy from
1: I was with some mates, so one was a Everton sport and one was an Arsenal sport, but they, they came along for you know for the, the experience and um, yeah. so obviously we, we went on the train and I remember I I, I, I was good and I waited to the final whistle and then <laughs> rather than jump over the fences uh, the stewards actually opened the emergency gates up they did so, to me that was an invitation to go onto the pitch
0: they wanted you on there um i remember mr by for now and i think it was the same mr by for now that still exists at the, mm-hmm. uh, the ground uh wailing that they had a game that they, they had like a family event next day i thought there was got another game to be played and i thought well, sh- good luck with that <laughs> half the pitch was missing by that stage well, I've
1: popped the pitch. I've hit a goalpost, went, and all the advertising. <laughs> went, so. But uh, yeah, I, I remember as soon as I saw the gates open, that was it. I walked down. and I, I remember having a brand new pair of trainers on, and I was kicking up this bit of dirt, looking down, and oh God, there's my trainers ruined.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> and, and I remember carrying this this, this sod of, of earth. Yeah. On the
0: train.
1: What going did you do
0: hard. with yours? What did you do with yours? It, did, you, did you keep it? it
1: it's in my mum and dad's garden.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: uh, I've got a rough idea where, where we planted it, but...
0: There's <laughs> some grass now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: I, was, I did get some funny looks on the train going home with me carrying this bit of grass. <laughs>
0: in the moment, it seemed like the most natural thing in the world to do, to dig up a piece of sod, and then afterwards, I go, what have I done? Why have I got this? <laughs> what I do with this piece of grass now? <laughs> there we are, the folly yeah, of absolutely. you. I was, I was 33 at the time. <laughs> I can't claim the folly of youth. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, well, I would—I I would have been. I'm ten years younger than you, so i have been 23.
0: So uh... <laughs> you got more—you got more of an excuse. You're listening to Achten Millwall. Selling a little or a lot. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully. With expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mm. That's right, so to the old ground, and
1: then we obviously move to the new ground, and yeah. you're, you're a regular in block one, is it?
0: Block one, I'll go in. I'll, sit, well, I'll go where it's empty because um, when you're sitting there talking to yourself, you get some very funny looks recording a podcast and, so and and, uh,
1: and we must we must touch on the before we go further the um well there's no polite way of putting this is the pit? was the pigeon poo still there when you know <laughs> last when, time you know, i
0: was in there yes it was <laughs> <laughs> i think it i think it will be still for some years to come i think the pigeon shit is going to be um part of the furniture i mean it, in a funny way um the, the the old when I first saw the new den I don't know what your impression was when you first went in there Jim but I went to the Sporting Lisbon game in um just pre-season in the 93 94 um and I remember walking into the new stadium and I just felt so immensely proud of what our club had done to, this was the first you know new stadium to be built in the stadium since I think Highbury, um you know in pre first world war so there had been no brand new stadium built um at all, and we had done this, and I remember walking into the ground. It sounds very odd when you when you repeat it back now. It's it doesn't look as pristine anymore, but I just felt like we'd 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 achieved such a such a thing. And I walked in there, i had lowered. See, I got I don't know why I left it buying the tickets till quite late for that Sporting Lisbon game. I got in at the last minute, so I was downstairs, right in the very very corner um, at the uh, where the away end is, or what would become the the away end. And I looked around this brilliantly illuminated stadium with a, a, a mm. um, as as basic as the old scoreboard was with its you know kind of um, LED screen and the images of hot dogs having ketchup put on them and all sorts of things like that because it was all going to be very American in there. Uh, but I just felt immensely proud of the place. So I looked at the Cold Blow Lane and thought, blimey, look at that. That is incredible. That is an amazing sight. Um, it sounds odd when you repeat it back now, but I still have a little touch of that every time we go in there I think it's still it still never fails to impress me ever so slightly the fact that we built this place when you know on many occasions in our club history we 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 shouldn't really be existing still so to have to have done that um and I you know I know Reg Burr was a, a you know had his uh, at his moments and he was a maybe a little, sailed a little bit close to the wind sometimes, but that was down to Reg Burr's drive to build that place. When we needed it, we couldn't have stayed at Cold Blow Lane because the law required a different kind of stadium. I don't think it was possible, really, to 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 have stayed in the old place. So it was certainly the next best thing. And I, I really like the new stadium. I still think it's got more buzz and atmosphere than um, any other stadium that I've been in in the modern era. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: Have you always been in block one then, as a season ticket holder, or was that like oh, where you've
0: migrated to? No, I started off in block three, um, bang on the halfway line, like I used to be at um, at the Coalbrow Lane at uh, Coalbrow Lane. <clears throat> uh, but I kind of inched leftwards a little bit when I started doing the the podcast recording because it's. Um, uh, it's just, you know, there aren't as many people ready, so you can kind of talk more freely and openly without people looking around and wondering who the nutcase is talking to himself, you know. These are the things, these are the issues that people don't realise have to be wrestled with when you're recording in a, in, a, in a live context. It's quite an odd thing to do in many ways. I'm, I'm well aware that it's quite a quite a bizarre thing um, to sit in a football match and, and murmur away into a, into a microphone. You get some odd looks even in block one most of the blokes there know me now so you know we're on kind of hello nodding terms as as we uh, go to our respective seats um but sometimes you'll get people looking around thinking i mean, a number of times i've been asked if i'm old bill am i steward am i there recording um you know people's uh, wayward remarks and the answer to that incidentally listeners is no i edit that out <laughs> I edit out stuff. <clears throat> if I hear anything that I don't like, that hit the, the or will damage the club, I'll edit it out. <laughs> so, so I'm not. So,
1: so let's let's just move away from the the listing line questions and, and, sure. and the, these podcasts that many of us do download every week. Yeah. How how did you get involved in podcasting in the first place? You know what? Well, does...
0: well, that's a good question. Um, I I, I mean I, I was aware of um the the modern technology and its ability to allow you to produce your own radio shows. I was aware that that could be done, but I didn't know anything about it in truth i I just knew that people did it and it could be done and it wasn't it was possible but it sounded so technically difficult and so um <clears throat> so outside my range of um you know uh, knowledge of of of, uh, of technology and and the internet and so on <clears throat> um, born and brought up in, in an era before the internet existed, I kind of come to know come to know it as an adult rather than like kids now brought up with it and they regard it as, as normality, I still have a slight sense of wonder at the whole thing every time I, I, I do anything online. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, there's a chap called Ant Meads, whose name has become Mud, unfortunately, for, uh, for many reasons. Um, which is a shame um, and Ant was quite a talented bloke um, and he did a similar thing to what we're doing now, he, he did a series of podcasts and he contacted me via uh, Twitter to see if I would be up for this um, he'd he, he done a couple of articles for the fanzine actually, so he'd come back to me by by email, now I think about it um, he used to write for No One Likes Us fanzine which I used to um, write for and and then came to edit for a while the old fanzines uh, and Ant was um, was a writer with with um, he's a producer and that was quite well done. Um, the thing and Ant had Ant wasn't well. In, I mean, I think I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to to say that he had uh, mental health issues. Um, and I think part of his um, recovery uh, uh, aims was to produce a podcast. So I, I didn't know what a podcast was in truth, Jim. So. He said, well, it's like a phone call. I'll record it. And it's like an interview, like you do on the radio. And, you know, we we, we can, um, on his on his Twitter account, um, which I think he used to call an- interviews, where interview people that interested him. And um, so we did this phone call, like this This is a Skype call that we're doing now, and recorded it and put it out. there. And I thought, That's, that doesn't seem terribly difficult because once I saw Skype in action, I could see, I've never used Skype before, so I had to download and get it set up, and it all seemed quite simple. And then there's a made a few inquiries. See, you know it struck me actually it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was. It was just basically a recording, which is, you know, can be done with um, can be done with an iPhone. You know, any the, the technology is actually quite is there and quite basic. And I think I probably made more into out of it in my mind. I made it seem bigger than it actually was. So anyway that was the first time that I did a, a, a podcast and that was with Ant then he suggested doing a regular weekly um, phone call after a Millwall game home game where we've both been and just had like a, a Sunday morning conversation about yesterday's game which uh, he called the Mill Hangover which was like a regular weekly thing and that became it became reasonably popular actually people um, I think people respond to um, I think people respond to content where you, you, you're you trying to retain a sense of humour with it, a middle sense of humour, and you're talking reasonably intelligently, I hope, about the game, and you keep a sense of um, a slightly wider perspective too. So you're kind of trying to – I always say if I, I, I want to do a show that I would want to listen to myself, and everyone knows what that is for themselves. Everyone has different tastes, and in the end, if I can read something that I've written or I listen to something that I've done – I think yeah, that's that's what I would want to listen to if I had a free choice. And it was being done by somebody else. Then I've I've achieved what I want to achieve. So um, to answer your question, we started off with a mill hangover, which ran for uh, about a year, one way and the other, nearly. Um, and became ill. I think looking back at it now, um, it became um, difficult to rely on and at certain points, and I found myself doing shows single-handed, which was quite um felt quite odd at first and even now whenever I record anything on by myself I've been doing a few shows this week while we've got the virus going to try and keep some entertainments people people do seem to like it and enjoy it but it's quite odd to talk to yourself uh, and it requires an effort and it's not it's not easy you know um but anyway after a while you get used to it and you can overcome it which i found quite useful generally because I've never been a natural public speaker or the public kind of um you know, I've always found it easier to write than to, to speak in public. But by doing this, it does help you conquer those kind of internal um, barriers that sometimes we put up for ourselves. So in the end, and um, hit some problems, which we won't go into here, um, hit some problems and couldn't do the show anymore. So I, I kind of decided I would carry on because people seem to enjoy what we were doing. People seem to enjoy the um, the format that we've evolved. And it just seemed a shame to lose it. So um, about, I think about 2013, the Hangover, Mill Hangover stopped um, and disappeared. Um, and, you know, that was that. was that. I, I, I don't know what became of him, to be absolutely honest. I think he, he, he hit some problems in life generally, as well as at Millwall. And that was the last time I heard of him. Um, but I decided to re, relaunch it as Actung Millwall, which had the, the format of doing a live kind of, I don't know if it's a commentary. It's not really a commentary that I do. It's more like an impression of the game that's happening in front of us and any other things that go through my head, which can be quite strange things at times. I, 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 you know, your mind wanders, and I come up with all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff at times. Um, and then a, like a, a post-match call or interview with um, various uh, guests over time, um, all of whom I'm very grateful to because they, they add a, a different tone to what otherwise could be quite self-indulgent in some way so I think over time the kind of live show phone call combination worked quite well and people seem to enjoy that um, so yeah that, that's been running for six or seven years now it's quite a long time when you look back at it and it struck me the other day when I was doing an upload of, of a show me, I've been doing this for a long time you know um, but it's nice it's, I mean people have been sending some really nice comments in recently With obviously within this time of difficulty for us all um, I think people have a need to keep in touch, and if this show and what we do—I mean, the show we did the other day, for example—got some nice comments, which I, you know, I sent on to you, Jim, and, and to Neil. And it's—I think—I think sometimes you don't appreciate how um, much people need to be in touch with each other, and it, 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 if it helps to doing that in a little way, I'm not going to overplay it. If it helps doing that, then it's, it, we've done some good, and that's really all you can do in this in this life, in my opinion. And so, yeah. So-
1: Acts on Millwall, the then all of a sudden you become a uh, a radio personality when uh, Love Sport Radio come calling. So yeah, is that, that through the podcast or what, did they approach you or how did well, that all come about?
0: Interesting thing, and I, I I've never you get it a little bit with the fanzine that we used to do Cold Blow Lane magazine. No one likes us before, and it became Cold Blow Lane. And obviously that's a written written medium and you know you sell it and you get some money and we we've always and this show incidentally all the money from the profits of this show gets donated to charity i've never done anything for any kind of personal gain or profit it's not not what i want to do and nor nor you know nor have we ever done it so the the advert money you, you have to have an advert to pay for the service that otherwise you you know it costs a lot of money to to put it on online all goes to charity but the point being when you start doing podcasting um, particularly on social media a lot of other people start contacting you get you get requests from other clubs um, show podcasts to go on their show which can be quite a strange experience because we, we do our show in a Millwall style and other clubs don't have their sales style. I don't it's quite it could be quite a weird thing sometimes to go on other people's podcasts. Um but one day um a chap called Billy who's a Brentford fan, um, quite well known Brentford fan, Billy the B, asked if I would do a pre-match interview for um Brentford, um for their podcast, which I did. And then it turned out that Billy is quite well connected with um, the likes of Sky TV and um he got to hear about this thing called Love Sport Radio, which is a Kelvin McKenzie um, uh, radio station, which I think was intended to be like a, a competitor talk station to uh, talk sport and talk radio over here, the big ones. You know, I think he was trying to set it up as a as a parallel to that, with with mixed success, in all honesty. But that's another another story. Um, but what they wanted to do, um, which is quite a shrewd idea, really, was to fill up the evening schedules with fan shows. So. What they were doing was contacting the main podcasts for the respective London clubs: Arsenal, Spurs, Millwall, Chelsea, and so on. All of them um, to see if the the podcast would um, do a, like an hour long show. And we we I said, yeah, that, that sounded interesting. I managed to get Harry interested. I, so suddenly, I thought, well, I can't just do that on my own. I need other people in the in the room. So um, Harry, then then uh, the likes of Michael and 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 the others that came in on the show over time um became like mainstays of of, of doing that aaron was the um the the, the kind of the host of the show um which made it easier as i thought well, i've never done live radio personally it's quite daunting um, it was
1: live did it actually go out live it wasn't a pre-recorded show
0: did no it went out live um it had a the most microscopic three or four second delay which they all have in case somebody starts swearing or they go off into a subject subject matter that's the twilight zone. I mean, every talk station, I think, does this. <clears throat> they can hit a, a kind of a, I call it a dump button, they have a dump button. I remember Aaron saying, I've got a dump button here. And that if you swear, it, it's not, not acceptable on mainstream radio to to swear. Although, obviously, I've never imposed that on, a, on, a, on the podcast. Um, but you've got freer and easier rules on the podcast. You still have to be a bit careful about what you say. You can't go around libeling people. And I always say to people, you know, I, I always edit it. So I always say to anyone, if you say something you wish you hadn't, then I'll always edit it so I can delete anything you didn't like afterwards. Um, but you'd have to be a bit careful about what you say. You can't just go around libeling and slandering. <laughs> you know, but the, the, the love sport was an interesting experience. Um, really glad I did it um live radio is a very different discipline it, i tell you what jim it made me um i admire what aaron does for a living because to talk to order for within a framework because they, they have to they have like a 12 minute advert break um 15 minute um break for the weather or something the traffic news you, you're kind of speaking within a framework and you cannot have dead air you can't not talk no. but equally You've got to hopefully talk in an intelligent and coherent way it is the most difficult skill and aaron is the most professional person that i've ever come across for that skill i mean it's it's i i sometimes catch myself i mean i'm I'm glad i can edit because i sound make myself sound intelligent on on the radio on the podcast that way um but to talk to order and deliver um, coherent um, you know coherent uh, speech that people will listen to and follow is, is a skill all of itself and I take my hat off to anyone that does it for a living and it makes you appreciate how good the real pros are and I, 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 Aaron is a real pro he's very very good very strong broadcaster in my opinion well I hope you're enjoying this edition of Achtung Novel well, this was a very long uh, call that we had with jimmy and i so this is the end of part one of this particular show this will be edition 232 so if you want to hear the next part pop over to edition 233 on the same acast channel thank you for listening bye for now hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter